This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A great Brazilian team. Doubt, it's there. They're ahead. It's one of the biggest sporting events in the world. And today, we're giving you an inside look at the teams and playoff pictures to date. As we present Atlanta Soccer Tonight. It's okay now. The goalkeeper's beaten. And South Africa have their first goal. Listen as Jason Longshore gives you all the latest in the world of soccer. As we break down the matchups and get you insights you can only find here. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Here's Jason Longshore. Let's kick it. Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9, The Game and the Odyssey app. Thanks for hanging out with us late night. I'm Jason Longshore alongside Jessica Charman. And Jess, this was the craziest day of this tournament so far, and it got started really early with maybe the biggest upset in World Cup history. I got to put my hands up and apologize, firstly, for not setting my alarm at 5 a.m. When I woke up about 7.30 a.m., I was speechless. I was a little embarrassed about how strongly I put out there that I was certain that Argentina was going to have a cakewalk, and I'm very impressed. With Saudi Arabia, I think you have to first and foremost congratulate them because they came in with a game plan and they followed it perfectly. And there were a lot of teams today that seemed to have a game plan that they stuck to and it was effective. It was interesting with Saudi Arabia's game plan because it wasn't the usual blueprint for an underdog kind of team. We're going to get deeper into that in our next segment. Tom Robinson from Golasso Argentino and the World Football Index, among many other outlets that Tom works for. We dug a little deeper into the Argentina-Saudi Arabia match. But yeah, there's some elements that I would like to see some other underdogs in this tournament kind of incorporate into their game and their approach. I thought Saudi Arabia was fearless in this game and Argentina Got a little shook at times. We'll we'll dig into that in a bit. So save your hot takes on, on everybody <laughs> in the world getting that game wrong. 
Uh, save those. We'll come back to it. Let, let's bounce around the other games and let's start with another. Looked like it might be an underdog story. Australia, they score early. France was able to get up off the mat and then ended up winning very strongly. Are there still questions about France for you, or did they answer all of them with their response? I don't think they answered all the questions because at the end of the day, they had a very shaky first 15 minutes. And as you get deeper in a tournament and you get into more competitive games, that's not to discredit the Aussies. I think they did well during periods in the game. I think the scoreline will be one that they look back on and feel a little hard done by just because of the way they started the game. If you do that against a stronger side, you will be punished even more in the first moments of the game. So I think the French side did well. They were able to make adjustments. They were able to change and they were able to look very good in those final thirds, scoring four goals. But at the end of the day, you can't afford to concede a goal in the manner that they did. And I think that was a shaky moment from an inexperienced back line and a team that's faced adversity and continues to face adversity with yet another injury, Jason. Lucas Hernandez tore his ACL in his right knee. It happened on Australia's goal. He's out for the rest of the tournament. He's going to be out for a significant period of time from Bayern Munich. Some of the other storylines here, Olivier Giroud, two goals for him. He equaled Thierry Henry's French record of 51 goals. He's got five goals and three assists in his last four games in all competitions, club and country. Giroud answering the question about what they do without Kareem Benzema. I, I thought the other questions, uh, yeah, maybe needs improvement is the grade that I would give. And I know that's going to sound crazy after a 4-1. The opening 15 minutes in each half, they looked shaky. And I was a little surprised, especially in the opening 15 in the second half, that Australia didn't try to punish them more. Australia... Maybe they didn't think that they could. I don't know. Maybe they don't have that self-belief. We've seen it from other teams in the tournament. We saw it from other teams today. I don't know. But I thought France looked shaky. And you got to remember, like, the reason why they look shaky, two center backs replaced, two central midfielders replaced. That's a box that's going to set the core for you defensively. And I think better teams are going to be able to punish those four players. Yeah, I think better teams will feel encouraged having watched those minutes that France struggled in. When you look at Australia, I was texting you because I was disappointed that they didn't utilize the opportunities that they had. I remember a corner kick. They send forward the biggest guy in the entire World Cup, and then they can't even beat the man at the front post. And it just seemed like the wrong game plan from those opportunities. When you have size and when you're the underdog, set pieces are going to be your bread and butter. That's where you need to try and capitalize. And they didn't have the service. I think you're right, Jason. They seemed a little fearful. It was almost like they got that one goal lead. They had the confidence in that moment. But then once they saw that lead eaten away, it was that self-fulfilling prophecy of, oh, no, we missed our chance. We're not good enough. We're not going to get back into this one. And you can't do that. You can't do that no matter how good the team is playing, whether it's the world champions, whether it's anybody. Look at Saudi Arabia. They didn't care that they were playing Argentina. They went in fearless. They dominated the game. They showed the physicality. And I think we need a little bit more of that fearlessness, that physicality, that putting your foot into the game no matter where you are on the field. And it didn't seem like they had that same desire, perhaps on the pitch during moments. Yeah, I expected more from Australia, especially after they got the opener. I thought that would give them confidence. It didn't seem to. 
they've got a lot of work to do the rest of the way in, in their last two games. Denmark and Tunisia, very entertaining scoreless draw. 24 shots in the match. Uh, the biggest miss was Andreas Cornelius with a header inside the six that he somehow put off the face of the post. I, I don't know how he missed that. There was a VAR controversy at the end. Ooh. We'll talk about that. But in this one, you talk about set pieces, and the overwhelming majority of those 24 shots came from set pieces, whether it's a corner, whether it's a free kick that's put into the 18, but neither team could find the advantage in this one. No, they couldn't. I thought it was some very good goalkeeping on display. You expect that for Denmark with Michael. I thought Tunisia's goalkeeper handled himself like a pro, particularly in those last few minutes of the game. Talk about coming up clutch with the big uh, catches from the long balls in, dominated his six-yard box, made things very difficult. A couple of really good reaction saves. One where I thought he made a hash of it, but was able to turn it out for a corner. But it was an entertaining scoreless draw. And I think what I loved about this game was the work rate. From the Tunisians. It wasn't always pretty. We won't call it a pretty performance, but there was spirit, there was fight, there was an understanding of their duty. Again, they were closing down at every opportunity. They were able to keep Ericsson pretty quiet. I thought he had a decent game, but he was a frustrated player because of the fact they had a game plan and it was to prevent him being able to open up and create opportunities for the Danish side. Yeah, see, I thought that Denmark actually played better than than maybe a lot of people were giving them credit. Ericsson created five chances. He had, I thought, the best chance in the run of play from the top of the 18. A huge save from Eamon Daman. He had five saves on the day for Tunisia. Um, I thought Ericsson was good. I thought Denmark looked more likely to win, especially as the match went on. Maybe Tunisia kind of ran out, out of that energy a little bit. Elaiduni. Uh, their central midfielder was really good. Uh, first in touches in the match, first in recoveries in the match. He came out, I think, about the 88th, 89th minute. And that's when Denmark, in stoppage time, I thought a winner was coming. I was I, now on I the did think, seat. I did not think it was coming from the VAR situation, though. And I'm glad they got it right. And I feel like the referee did. The, v, the VAR recommended an on-field review for a possible handball. The referee went to look at it, and it's it's kind of a, a crutch for all the commentators now. I know we've said it, too, in games. Whenever there's that on-field review, generally the referee mm -hmm. goes along with what the VAR has recommended. In this case, the referee did not, and I think he got it right. I don't think it was a handball. No, I think he got it right, too, but the emotional roller coaster of seeing – him go to the monitor, mm -hmm. hearing the commentators saying what we're all thinking. Oh, my goodness, he's going to the monitor. He's being told in his ear. This is clear and obvious. I thought it took some real confidence in the referee to make sure he stood by his decision, particularly in that moment of the game, knowing that this is a pivotal decision where you either give Denmark the, opposite, uh, the opportunity to win or you give Tunisia a lifeline. And I think we are seeing a lot of reviews right now where it just seems like we are being a little quick to send them to the monitor. In my opinion, it seems like the grade may be a little less than we've seen in other tournaments. Yeah, but I don't think there's been one of those that has been incorrect. There, there's been the, the penalty for Iran late is the one that I, maybe I disagree with the most. It, it's mm -hmm. correct by the letter Me of the too, law. Me too, but I'm from England. <laughs> of course, of course. But 
there was a shirt pull, so I get it. Like, did, was it enough to go to the spot? Not at that point. I didn't really think so, but it's a shirt pull, so I I get it. I think that there's just always in the World Cup, and it feels like it kind of sets the tone for the next year or two in the way the game gets called worldwide. I feel like there's a little bit of a recalibration. We're yeah. seeing it with stoppage time right now, <laughs> where where referees are are giving proper amounts of stoppage time. Um, and it feels really weird because it's it's a lot of stoppage time from what we're used mm-hmm. to, but it's it feels correct as well to how much time is actually lost in the game. We'll see with handballs and other things, kind of how this plays Correct out. Correct me if I'm wrong, though, Jason, real quick. They did talk about trying to stamp down on any offenses within the 18 in terms of shirt pulling, in terms yeah. of physicality beforehand. So at yeah. least they're sticking to their word. And that's yeah. one thing I'll give everyone credit for in terms of the refereeing stuff. They said they were going to give stoppage time. They've stuck to that. Mm-hmm. They said they were going to be quick on yellow cards. They've stuck to that mostly. They are protecting players from big endangering challenges and so at least we're seeing a level of consistency where they've said the things that they're going to work on in terms of officiating and you don't have to like it but they're doing what they said they would do we'll talk about the semi-automated offside technology in the next <laughs> segment because there, there there might be a big question about that we'll come back to it uh we also learned today that memo ochoa's superman cape still works <laughs> he saved robert Lewandowski's penalty earned the point for mexico um, both teams in this game, though, for me, were way too conservative, especially considering Argentina lost earlier in the day. I thought Poland was was awful, frankly. Yeah. I, I thought Poland had no idea. The game plan was wrong. What were they doing? They had nothing in terms of forward thinking help. And I'm sorry, but Lewandowski's got to do better from the penalty spot. I think, Ochoa, don't, hey, I'm a goalkeeper first and foremost. We know that. It's a great save. It is a great save. He gets two hands on it. But a player for the Polish national team that puts them on their back on so many occasions has to step up to the mark and not allow the goalkeeper an opportunity to save his penalty. I thought Mexico looked good out wide. Uh, I thought the the fullbacks got forward well. Um, I thought Chucky Lozano was good. I thought Gallardo was good on the left side. Um you didn't have really anything up top until you got Raul Jimenez into the match. He wasn't able to start, but it was good that he got through the minutes that he did. Didn't aggravate the groin injury. They're going to need more from him. They're going to need goals from him. But I was just kind of shocked at how defensive Poland was, especially in the first half. At times it looked like a 7-2-1. I mean, it's just packing in the defensive third and really with no way to get out. And, yeah. and we're going to talk about this in the next segment because I think it's really important. The, the underdogs that have played in a proactive manner, not necessarily risk-taking manner or picking their risks maybe is the better way to put it, but the underdogs that have not just done the old school, let's sit back and bunker and hope for something lucky to fall our way, those are the underdogs that have pulled some results. But... Here's my confusion, Jason. I wouldn't have considered Poland a huge underdog going into it. You And also, you've just witnessed the Argentina game. I don't know what was going through their minds in terms of not thinking this is an ideal opportunity to take three points. This is an ideal opportunity 
to set the standard in this group and take off pressure. And now you've made life a lot more difficult because you're going to be looking at three points from somewhere else. It just doesn't make sense to me to go into it with such a negative attitude when you're an equal. I would say on paper, you should have felt like you were an equal opportunity to go out and win this game. Yeah, it was a toss-up, maybe slightly shaded to Mexico. But yeah, I, I was, and I was Mexico. We've seen them be conservative. Poland, I was shocked at how conservative they were. They've both got to play Argentina and angry Argentina. <laughs> what went wrong for Argentina this morning? We're going to talk about that in five minutes. We're going to dig into it with Tom Robinson of the World Football Index, Golasso Argentino. We're going to try to find the pathway forward as they face Mexico next. You're listening to Atlanta Soccer tonight on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's Sucker, sucker. on the stage. And Jason Longshore has it all covered with Atlanta Soccer Tonight. On Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Atlanta Soccer Tonight, back on 92.9 game and the Odyssey app. Let's dig a little deeper into the Argentina 2-1 loss to Saudi Arabia. And we've got a good expert to help us break this one down. Tom Robinson of the World Football Index and Golasso Argentino. You're going to be able to hear the whole interview with Tom on the Off the Woodwork folder on any podcatcher or on the Odyssey app. We've got a couple clips that Jess and I wanted to dig into here to start with the initial reaction to what happened this morning. I'm still trying to get my head around it, to be honest. It was, you know, even at half time, I, I think we'd seen Argentina dominate in terms of chances. Yes, Saudi Arabia had been a lot more intense and physical than we'd probably expected. But even at that point, it was a case of, well, the goal's going to come. Eventually, one of these offside traps is going to be broken and uh, and Argentina should get off to um, what seemed like it would be a routine victory. But... Um, as things tend to happen um, in in the World Cup with Argentina, it's they never make it quite as easy as uh, as you'd expect, and um, absolute shockwaves and deflation um, going through the Argentinian public now after that. Of all the games, I think the one that they had most banked three points on. So yeah, absolutely shell shocked at the moment. 
I don't think he's just mirroring the words of every single one of us, quite frankly. I don't think anyone predicted it. But as we've said, we've said it time and time again. Saudi Arabia came to play a style of play. They committed to it and it was effective. And I think it was a style of play that if you've watched the qualifying, Argentina's used to play and they're used to being the physical ones. They're used to rattling teams. They're used to kind of imposing themselves and making the opposition nervous. And it felt like the tables were turned a little bit. And I'm not sure Argentina was able to handle that pressure and that adversity and that physicality they didn't quite seem to be able to respond in the way that maybe a side of their quality should be able to do. They'd won 36 games in a row before, or they hadn't lost in 36 games before coming into this one. One, one game off Italy's record. One, one game. Off the, so record. the Italians get one victory. They're not in the World Cup, but they can have that one. There were a lot of people in Argentina who hoped that they would lose one before the World Cup because that gets a little uh -huh. heavier as the tournament goes on when you're on a streak like that. Uh, here's Tom about some of the, just the, the thin margins when you get to this level that can decide the outcome of a match. Yeah, definitely. I think that's often what the World Cup shows. It, you know, teams can go out on the smallest of decisions. We saw England, you know, let loose against the Iran, getting that sort of second and third goal just ended any potential hopes. And, and this game could have gone a similar way, although, as I've said before, much more impressed with Saudi Arabia than I have been from any of the, you know, inverted commas underdogs in this tournament so far. So, you know, that's a real big marker they're putting out and it just opens this group up massively now. And, you know, it's from what most people I think were seeing as a, a clean Argentina progression, you've now got everyone, you know, fancying their chances of, of at least getting through, even if, you know, they, Argentina still have got plenty in the bank to, to potentially top the group or get through at the least, as you, you would imagine still, despite this um, sh uh, shock that's happened so far. And you're right. It opens up the group. Everyone feels like there's something to play for. I don't think the result, and that was recorded before we saw how Mexico and Poland were going to approach it. And I'm not sure that was the way we maybe expected it to go in terms of opening up the group a little bit more, but I'm wondering how Argentina responds. And I wouldn't want to be the team that faces Argentina next because you heard Messi come out and say, hey, we're not going to drop the ball on this. He knows that he has the responsibility. He knows the pressure. He knows how the reaction is at home, I'm sure, as well. Jason, you know Argentinian soccer a little better than me. How do you think they're able to respond to the frustration that is going on back home right now with that result? I think they're going to come out of House of Fire against Mexico this weekend. I think they have to. Um, honestly, I thought in this game they were too frantic. I, I think there's been some some conversation about, well, Argentina wasn't good. No, that's not true. The numbers don't back that up. You can go look at them any which way you want. You can look at the opportunities. You can look at the way the game played out. You can look at everything about it take the the headline writer from the newspaper out of it and watch it argentina was the better team by far they didn't convert their chances number one they had three goals brought back for offside <laughs> number two and one of those was I mean, it's about as close as you can get to the point that there's questions on if the right defender was used to determine the offside because there was a defender away from the play that might have kept lautaro martinez on Anyway, you're, you, you're off. You're off three times. Maybe weren't off one, but anyway. It was that close. It was that close. Argentina played well, and I think for a lot of maybe the 
the ones who've kept the emotion out of it a little bit, mm-hmm. I, I think the response is, okay, now we've got a much harder road. Now it's a, it's a bigger mountain to climb. All the cliches you can pull from that. But we still feel good about this group. And, and that's the way you should feel after this game. Got to give credit to Saudi Arabia. They had the right approach. It worked. They gambled a lot. Mm-hmm. And go back and watch those offside decisions. One was pretty clear. The messy one was really close, but off. And the Lautaro Martinez one is about as close as you can possibly be. I mean, it's the the shoulder slash bicep. T-shirt is sleeve is what they're looking yeah. for, right? It's the T-shirt sleeve. And Which I think you watch it back where? and... Here, there. It's so difficult. It's so difficult. But I guess by the letter of the law, as long as they've got the right defender. And that's the question. That's the part. And if you've got the wrong defender, then again, this Ooh. whole semi automated offside thing is starting to look a little less effective if you can't even select the correct defender yep. from it because it's so close. They've got to clarify that because, I mean, the images are out there from Argentine media. They've been spread everywhere. Nico Cantor shared it from CBS Sports and Football Day Primera. I shared his tweet. And the images are there. And it is a question that FIFA needs to to give a response to. Was it an error by the officiating crew or did they get it right? And the lines just didn't match up for whatever reason. Give us an answer. Um, one more from Tom about that expected response on Saturday against Mexico. Yeah, I mean, that is going to be the key thing is to see how, how they do bounce back because so many times it's it's a case that they've managed to take a lead and they've held on to leads. I think the true test of any side is how they react in the face of advers- adversity. And um, certainly that's either within a game or within the context the mood around the national team is as good as I've ever seen it. Um, it's There's a lot of support. Obviously, that's going to be dented. There's a lot of disappointment um, and frustration from the Argentinian public and media. This is definitely not the way they envisaged the, the tournament starting. But I do think that good atmosphere is going to be the, the thing that carries them through. I don't think they're aside with brittle enough confidence that this would just shatter any illusions of what they can do there's there's a real grit and a lot of players who've come from nowhere or come back from adversity um i think they've got the i think they've got the the mentality um and obviously it's now when those key experienced players do come to the fore and say look you know we've we've suffered our disappointments in previous tournaments like this isn't going to happen again you know, let's let's make it right against Mexico. And I'm a big believer as well, though, that sometimes if you have too easy of a first game, if you destroy the opponent, if you're not able to really get into a tough competitive game, it can have the reverse effect. So I'm wondering if maybe, like you mentioned, Jason, they wanted to pick up that loss to sort of break the streak. Perhaps this is the wake-up call of this isn't going to be in a walk in the park. You can't underestimate any opponent. You've seen how difficult it can be. You can see that you're not invincible. And perhaps it's that wake-up moment that makes them realize, okay, now we've got to get every single game right from here on out. We can't afford any more of these mistakes. This is our one chance of forgiveness. And now we've got to play at the level that we know we can. You've got to be sharper. You have to be sharper. They they outshot Saudi Arabia 15 to three, six shots on target, 
two for Saudi Arabia. They scored on both. First one took a slight deflection. The second one, absolute golasso. <laughs> I mean, what a goal from Salem al Dorsari. Um, you're not getting it. Uh, Emmy Martinez got a hand to it. He's not keeping that out. That's what they lost by. And and the XG, I mean, I know some people hate the XG <laughs> stat, but Argentina's XG was better than England's. It was 2.27 and to 0.14 for Saudi Arabia. And that doesn't include the three goals that were wiped away for offside. That doesn't factor in when they're wiped away. Argentina played well, but Saudi Arabia bet on playing a high line. They bet on that being effective, and it was seven offside decisions in the first half. That's more than Argentina had in the last two tournaments combined. Five in 2018, two in 2014. They had seven and one half here. I think they ended up with 10 for the game. Um, And the second half is what was fascinating to me because watching this as Argentina in the first half had the one nil lead on the penalty from Messi. They had their chances. They had the three that were pulled back. They had the play. They had control. Even with those goals not being counted, they, they had the control of the game. But I still felt like they were a little too frantic at times. They could have held the ball a little bit longer. They, they could have waited for plays to develop a little bit longer. They were going 100 miles an hour. Second half. You give up the two goals early, and and maybe they came out in the second half and felt like they were in good shape. Maybe they let their guard down. Maybe the first goal going in really did dent Mm -hmm. their confidence for a a momentary lapse. I was a little surprised at the response after the second goal because it felt like it took them a while to get going again for a lot of veterans in this team. Um, I thought they, they got better when Enzo Fernandez came on in place of Papu Gomez. I didn't feel like Papu Gomez gave them enough in the team. Now, Guti Romero injured. Don't know if we'll see him again in the tournament. Um, I think they're going to be okay in the back, but he was not up to his best. That's That was a problem. But Saudi Arabia, to, to go a little bit further on what they did, and I feel like it is a blueprint for anybody else. If you're going to play a team that has more talent than you, I've always felt like you have to find something you do well and mm-hmm. stick to it rather than just say we've got to hold on for dear life and just sit back and defend that very rarely works no it doesn't because there's always going to be one mistake in a game or there's always going to be one opportunity from a set piece that you give up and then your game plans out the window and you have to open up and, and go at it and that's when floodgates often open I think we talked about it, Jason. One of the advantages for Saudi Arabia is that they've had a lot longer to play together as a team with their league taking the break. And it looked like a team that had played a lot of time together. You don't play an offside trap consistently and successfully as well as they did without good chemistry, without a lot of practice, without understanding each other and communicating. It's very, very difficult to play with that fire and have it succeed. And I think you could tell that this was a team that was all on the same page and had that level of communication for the gamble to pay off. Yeah, I feel like when you do the bunker and and not have a plan of how you want to get out, because if you're going to sit and defend to try to counter, different conversation. Talking about underdog teams that come in and just bunker and just hold on and maybe look for a lucky set piece, whatever. You have to play a perfect game to do that. You, you can't make any mistakes. 
when you play like Saudi Arabia did, you're more proactive. You know, you're not going to control the the game against Argentina with the ball, but you can impact the game by being more proactive with that high offside line with higher pressure in the second half. And I think if you're looking for an adjustment, Saudi Arabia got bolder early in the second half, pressuring higher up the field. That was more disruptive and helped really break the game open in their way. You have to give Hervé Renard, their manager, mm-hmm. he loves the the fresh white shirt. He's a big fan of the fresh white button-down shirt. You have to give him a ton of credit. You have to give those players a ton of credit. They had a month to respond to get ready for this game. How do they handle getting ready now for Poland and then for Mexico? We'll see. How does Argentina handle Mexico on Saturday? I think we're going to tell Argentina's mentality first 15 minutes of that game. It's going to be critical for them to shake off this one. When we come back, last segment of the night, we're going to bounce around the games tomorrow, get caught up on the news. Harry Kane is getting checked out for an ankle injury tomorrow, mm-hmm. Jess. Mm-hmm. Mm, we'll talk nah, about that. No U.S. crying tears. No U.S. is crying tears. Oh, yeah, I'm not. We'll, we'll talk about that and everything else World Cup related. Last segment coming up. Atlanta soccer tonight on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. the world of soccer live with Jason Longshore. And it's the man from the back. This is Atlanta Soccer Tonight. On Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Welcome back. Atlanta Soccer Tonight live on 92.9, the game and the Odyssey app. Fastest 15 minutes of soccer news and updates that we can go through. Let's hit it. Four games on Wednesday. Morocco and Croatia get things started. 5 a.m. Luka Modric, last World Cup for him. Is he still able to carry Croatia? Can they get back to the final like they did in 2018, Jess? I think it'll be a very, very tough one. We're looking at a side that isn't as good as they were in 2018, and the quality players like Modric have added four years on. I mean, he seems ageless, right? His quality has not... Missed a beat, but he's still in the age of his career now where 
he slowed down a little bit. He's still so intelligent, but I don't think he can put this team on his back another time and progress as deep as he would like, but he would never tell you that. And, and who knows, but I think it would be very difficult for Croatia to progress too far in this tournament with the squad that they have this year on. Yeah, he's going to need a little more help. They are the favorite in this match, plus 110, according to FanDuel Sportsbook. Morocco plus 280, the draw plus 210. Morocco's a little bit of a sleeper. They might have the best attacking fullback duo in the tournament. Masrawi of Bayern and Hakimi of PSG. Morocco will be able to stretch the field. They've got younger legs. They've also got Hakim Ziyech back into this team. The previous manager had a big falling out with Ziyech. The previous manager was fired in August. And then new manager comes in. Two clean sheets in September. Morocco might be a little bit of a sleeper. I don't know if Japan's a sleeper or not. I'm really curious to see how they fare against Germany at 8 o'clock. Questions about Germany, too. Hansi Flick trying to modernize Germany past the Yogi Love era. Are they ready to be a team that can win this tournament? I'm not sure yet. I need to see it first. Yeah, I'm not sure what to expect out of either of these teams, honestly. As you mentioned, Germany's a newer generation trying to change the way they play a little bit, trying to adapt to a style. These things take time. They don't happen overnight, and they don't necessarily happen during your first World Cup as a group. And I'm interested to see how they step up to the occasion. We know Germany's a huge soccer nation, most successful in history. When you look at the stats, that's a lot of pressure on these players. That's a lot of expectation from the nation do they live up to that expectation we've seen some teams with a lot of expectation on that maybe haven't at that first step do they learn the lessons from the teams that have struggled or do they become another team that's looking back at this first group stage thinking they left something on the pitch japan will be proactive and there's a number of players in this japanese squad that have played in germany or are currently playing in germany so the the heavy transition game that's a hallmark of the German team, of what Hansi Flick wants to do. Japanese will be ready for that. They'll be able to handle it. Are they good enough to handle it is the question. We'll find out. They're a big underdog, plus 600. Germany, minus 230. Draw, plus 360 in that one. That's kind of an interesting number. Uh, Spain is favored heavily at 11 a.m., minus 650 against Costa Rica, who is plus 1,600. The question about Spain, and they have questions too. I think they're like Germany. They're, they're right there as a possible contender to win this thing. Can they score goals consistently? I don't think they're going to come from Alvaro Morata. Where else are they going to come from? They've got to show they can score. And they're playing a team in Costa Rica who mm -hmm. was one of the best defensive teams in CONCACAF throughout qualifying. They struggled to score goals too. And you talk about a goalkeeper who puts the Superman cape on, Kaylor Navas, even though he hasn't played at PSG this year, is still one of the best in the world. He is. But I do think it's a disadvantage that he doesn't have minutes under the belt. I'm a big preacher of goalkeepers need real match minutes to stay fresh consistently. And that's where decision making comes in. That's where maybe he makes a poor choice coming off of his line or maybe he misreads a ball because you can't replicate those high pressure scenarios. Spain's going to have a lot of possession. Let's be honest, but Costa Rica won't mind. I think this is a team that will defend for their lives. Like you mentioned, Jason, they're pretty good at it. They've got a good goalkeeper behind them. 
What can Spain do when they have that possession? Can they find that final pass to create an opportunity? And can they score a goal and get that monkey off of their backs? I, I don't know. It, it's going to be a tough one. It's an interesting one. Maybe it has nil-nil written on it based on these two teams' scoring profiles. And Costa Rica could probably be okay with that. I think they are a team that can counter. Joel Campbell out in space in transition can be dangerous. Anthony Contreras, 22 years old from Herediano. He's a player to watch. Juson Bennett as well, 18 years old at Sunderland, the youngest player to represent Costa Rica at the senior level. Bennett brings a little bit of life to a very old team in Costa Rica. I'm, I'm curious to see how they handle just the, the Spanish onslaught of possession. I'm really curious in the 2 p.m. game. Mm -hmm. Belgium, big favorite, minus 195. Canada, first World Cup game since 1986. They're a plus 500. The draw is plus 340. No Romelu Lukaku. He is out. He's out for the first two games for Belgium. Alfonso Davies is in for Canada. There were some questions about him after an injury with Bayern. Eden Hazard will captain Belgium tomorrow. Are you buying that plus 500 number for Canada as a possibility? I would throw some pennies on it. I'm not sure I would okay. put too much on it, but a couple of pennies. Why not? Because I still have questions about Belgium. I really do. When we talk about golden generation, I think the golden is less sparkly and maybe it's a little dimming because they are at the age of their career. Now, I saw a quote from Eden Hazard saying he's not the player that he used to be. He knows he's not. He's well aware that he's not going to be that player. He has to learn how to be a different Eden Hazard, even if people are expecting him to be the old Eden Hazard. And that's a big quote to make and a player understanding that they're changing in their career. Kevin De Bruyne, let's be honest, one of the best players in the World Cup. How much can he do for this side to have an impact? I wouldn't sleep on the Canadians. They didn't finish top of the qualifying for, for sheer luck. They are a quality side that has some really good players within them. And you mentioned it's their first World Cup in a very long time, just as we saw with the Welsh. Even if they're facing some adversity through this game, they will want to make sure that they give their fans back home an opportunity to celebrate. Kevin De Bruyne is one of the best players in the world. And if Belgium wins this, it's because of him. Stat on him. 11 of his last 15 goals for Belgium have come from outside the 18. Oosh. That's crazy. You talk about long range shooting. Um, he's been directly involved in 40 goals and 41 games for Manchester City in the calendar year. So he is on fire. He's been the most productive player in the Premier League in the 2022 calendar year. He's going to carry Belgium. He's going to have to. However, defensively, they were the oldest team in the last Euros. It's a year later and it's the same guys. Average age of over 30 in their starting 11 in the round of 16. Back three, 101 years old combined. <laughs> and when you look at Canada and you look They're at fast. Pace, They're fast, Jason. <laughs> you look at the movement off the ball. You look at them finding the gaps. When you read a scouting report on Belgium and it's, well, they often concede chances and goals from passes in behind their high line. And you combine that with 101 years old combined. Ooh, that plus 500 number is really, really, really intriguing. Um, Canada's never scored a goal in the World Cup. Three games in 1986. They played France really tough. They did not get a goal. What a reaction it will be all over Canada, Canadian soil if they find a goal in this game. 
Hey, in English soil, if uh, we have a Reading player score the goal as well. Well, at least in Reading, they'll be happy about it. I don't know about the rest of England being happy. <laughs> that might have been an exaggeration. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, some other news around the tournament. I mentioned Harry Kane in the last segment. He came out of the match against Iran after a knock on the right ankle. Um, he did last until the 75th minute. I think the actual hit was maybe five minutes into the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, according to the Athletics' David Ornstein, He's going to undergo a scan on his ankle tomorrow, and his status for Friday against the United States is in question. Thoughts? Uh, I think there's a lot of happy Americans out there, if I'm completely yep. honest with you. And yep. I don't blame them. I can, I can understand it. It's one where I would have felt a lot worse about this if we hadn't found goals from other dimensions against Iran. That's not to discredit Harry Kane, I mentioned. I think his off-the-ball work rate, the leadership he brings is fantastic. But I still think that we would be okay, but it's going to be a huge loss. Yeah, it will be, because he's just so important to the overall way that England plays. It's not even just the goals, although he does score the overwhelming majority of their goals. Um, it's just he's so important with dropping in and facilitating the build-up play, all of the things that he does. It'll be a big adjustment if he's not able to go. Um, yeah, Greg Berhalter in the United States men's national team should be very happy about this development. I, I can't imagine he's going to be 100%, even if he can go. And that's what and I was going to say. My concern is also finding that balance. It's a tournament. Mm-hmm. Quick turnaround. How much do you feel like you need him in the starting lineup or you need him to contribute minutes versus protecting him for the rest of the tournament? If I'm in charge, I'm letting someone else have a run. You've got some squad depth. Leave him on the bench. Worst ditch scenario, put him on. But if you can rest him, better to save Harry Kane for later on when it looks like you're going to progress, when it looks like you're going to be able to find your way deeper in the tournament. Because the last thing you want to do, and we see it with players that want to play, step on the step on the field make that injury worse, then you could be missing the entire tournament. Yeah, Gareth Southgate's got away the pros and cons of playing Harry Kane on Friday. I think the U.S. is going to have that question, too, and Weston McKinney is maybe the biggest one in that regard uh, with his injury history coming in. I thought he was good and effective for about half of his time on the pitch in game one. He was really struggling for a while on the pitch. Is he going to be ready to go here? Is he going to be questionable and you can you afford to, you a to have bit? a player at 50 percent on the pitch against england and their midfield you might it, get away yeah. with it against wales will you get away with it against england having someone that can't quite perform to the best of their ability and i think it's even more important when you talk about tournament strategy can you afford to blow him out here and not have him against iran or pick up a yellow card jason don't forget no. yellow card accumulation <laughs> Yeah, I, I would not be surprised if Weston McKinney does not start. I also wouldn't be surprised if Serginio Dest doesn't start because they're both on yellows. They're both injury issues, and you have to be realistic here. Can you get something out of England? Yeah. Can you beat England? Yeah, they mm-hmm. can, and they need to have that mentality. But the more likely game you can win is against Iran, and you don't want to risk that win to chase a harder win on friday that's a that's a tough balancing act it's tough to be able to flip the mentality mm-hmm. be very curious to see how greg burhalter handles it some non-world cup news because it's been a crazy day around <laughs> the soccer world 
We had some news here in Atlanta. I was on Dukes and Bell talking about it. Garth Lagerway is the new president of Atlanta United. Uh, go back into the archives for Dukes and Bell. I'm going to pull that clip and make sure it's in the off the woodwork folder as well. Um, a proven winner, somebody who you know has won multiple MLS Cups, uh, won CONCACAF Champions League with Seattle. Now he's been in a little bit different roles than he will be here in Atlanta as the president of the club. That's going to be interesting to see that adjustment, but he has progressed every step in his career. It's a great hire, in my opinion. I'm really excited about getting to meet Garth, and I've always heard great things about him all over the league. Big news in England on two fronts with Manchester United. They mutually terminated Cristiano Ronaldo's contract, and he announced that you know before he plays his first World Cup game in 2022. Great timing, right? Really, really good timing to turn it oh, about man. him. It's all so weird with him. And Manchester United could be either completely up for sale or for new investment, selling part of it. But it sounds like the Glazers are interested in selling the whole thing. Some happy United fans out there today. I'll tell you that. Uh, you you might need to be careful about what you wish for. And, and that's always the question when you get into these situations. I think Chelsea's sale price ended up turning a lot of heads. And you have Liverpool and you have Manchester United that are both possibly up for at least partial sale. I think Liverpool wants to, the Fenway Sports Group wants to hold on to Liverpool. They're more likely to sell part. The Glazers made it clear that they would sell all of it if the price is right. And you're talking four, five billion dollars. You got that There's, in your back pocket. No, no. I'd need to hit on a lot more of these juice boxes than I have so far in the tournament. Um, there's not a lot of people with that kind of money. And some of the people that do have that kind of money are maybe not the kind of people you want to own your football club. Mm. So it's going to get really interesting around Manchester on the uh, red side of the city anyway. So four games to talk about tomorrow. We will do that tomorrow night after the Hawks post game show on 92.9 The Game on the Odyssey app. If you miss us live, you can always download the podcast off the woodwork folder and your favorite podcatcher. Or you can just dial it up on the Odyssey app. Thanks for hanging out with us. Another World Cup edition of Atlanta Soccer tonight in the books. We'll see you tomorrow night. Adios, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.